says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another installment of the tip sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known by the buy as 4020. Joining me to preview all the action from the upcoming round, which is round 11, as well as break down a fair few, bit, or a fair few bits of news, sorry, and um, go behind the Micro Spiro shortly is my good mate, 60s. Always a pleasure to have you on, mate. And I always feel like my intros get longer and longer before I start introducing you these days. <laughs> mate, it's very good to be here, to be talking football. I know we can't, we're coming off a loss, but, you know, there's something extra about coming up to a clash against the old foe in Manly. It's a big week for us. It's a Friday night it's, game. We've got gold, our Goldfish memories this week. It's a five-day turnaround. We sort of blinked on Sunday, and we're already here a day earlier recording midweek to get the, get the stuff out in time. Yeah, and, mate, we got a, we got a double header with the New South Wales Cup on before the first grade on Friday night. Then mm-hmm. we're back at Paraleagues, the home of the Eels, for our post-match hosted podcast up in Jack's Bar and Grill. It's going to be a huge night for Eels fans. It's going to be a huge night for us. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to this podcast. So I reckon we get into it. Yes, sir. So I'll let you start it all off. Mate, I doubt that there's been bigger weeks so far this year in terms of news, not just for the Parramatta Reels, but across the NRL in general. Plenty to discuss. And, of course, we go to our man behind the mic, that's Spiro. Spiro, welcome to the tip sheet again this week. Lovely to be with you once again, boys. And as you said, it's just been nonstop this whole week we've obviously got a federal election coming up so i've been busy on that front with 2gb but footy wise it's uh it's held to leather as well and let's kick things off um we're coming off another loss for the eels just that inconsistency still around and we spoke about it last week and i I just think that this is the biggest problem with our side this year but also going forward the problem is that we can't string together performances. We come off the back of a brilliant win against Penrith, one of our best 80-minute performances of the year, one of our best matches that I've probably seen them play in the last couple of seasons, and then we can't bet a team like the Roosters, who are sitting lower on the ladder, who have had a pretty average start to the year, who lost to the Bulldogs a couple of weeks back and the Dragons a week before that. So it's the inconsistency is hurting us big time, guys, because now you look at the ladder – and we're equal on points with teams like the Broncos and whatnot, who I think have probably don't deserve to be on 12 points compared to Parramatta. We deserve to be on more than 12 points. We've really earned our 12 points, whereas the Broncos or teams like that who are around that um, middle of the, the eight type of thing, they're not up to our, our standard and up to that scratch. So it's disappointing. We really should be pressing ahead with that pack, with the, the top of the table contenders. But if we keep doing what we're, we're doing and we can't string good back-to-back performances together, then we're going to struggle this year and we'll make the eight. But when it comes to finishing the top four and having that advantage, I think that we're going to find it difficult. One of the interesting things that I saw written this week actually came from the Cumberland Thrones throw zone Shelley with her From the Stands post this week. And she picked up something which... We were aware of at the start of the season, but maybe we weren't 
as cognizant of as we should be more recently, which is what Parramatta's draw looked like. Now, not so much the opponents, but rather the locations. And what we've seen in the first 10 rounds is only three matches in that time at Combank Stadium. Now, I know we lost one of those matches at Combank Stadium with the match against the Tigers, but the, the Eels have basically been on the road where they've played in Melbourne, they've played in Queensland, and, in, and they've played in Darwin, and uh, also had a regional game in Newcastle. So they've actually been on the road and doing a lot of travel as part of their football program, whereas in the next 14 rounds, 12 of the matches are in Sydney with eight of them at Combank Stadium. So I think we probably looked at the opponents, and I agree, we've been inconsistent, and with there's some matches that we I think we've left the points in the tank. But if you're talking about maybe the work, the, the, the loading and the travel, Maybe we're not in such a bad position. Maybe six wins, four losses for the first 10 rounds where we've only had three matches at Combank Stadium isn't too bad. You're right about that. And the other thing which Brad Arthur consistently speaks about is the six-day turnarounds and the short turnarounds. And we had that once again. So, oh, well, we didn't actually have a short turnaround this time. We actually played on Friday. We, and we've then gone through three six-day turnarounds. We then played on the Sunday. Yeah, into an eight-day turnaround. Yeah, and I think, Hmm. But then, that, and I think that takes a toll. Yeah, the, and the, now the we're going that, into we, a five-day tournament. Yeah, the, the other thing that was a factor, I suppose, against the Roosters, and it's something that's been mentioned in the past, is that backing up from Darwin isn't that much of an issue physically. We've often seen the boys turn around f- with good wins, but it's the second week after where it really takes a toll, and we saw that opening up against the Roosters, where we really started slow of the box. And it's it is interesting that this was raised before the trip to Darwin. It was raised as a topic that we spoke about after the Darwin uh, game that we weren't so much concerned about how the Eels would back up against Penrith, but rather two weeks down the track where the Eels have traditionally had a, a flat spot in energy levels two weeks after the Darwin game. And it just so happened that two weeks after the Darwin game this year was again having to hop on a plane and go back to Queensland. So... I don't know. Is it was it was it such a surprise that they were a bit off the pace at the start of the game against the Roosters? It's disappointing that they were, especially as they seem to be coming home so strongly in the second half. I, I, it's a positive. It's a positive that we're playing good second halves, right? If you want to take a positive out of it, it's that we are putting better back end forty minute performances together than we have in the past. So that's the positive, right? Our second halves have been great. We're showing a lot of fight and determination to come back and show a bit of glimmers of hope in the, that second 40. But cut to the chase, it's the inconsistency. And, and I, I agree with you guys that all these things take a, you know have a role to play and, and impact and influence the way that we're performing week to week. But we just, we're inconsistent, you know, and it's really frustrating, especially off the back of such a big win against Penrith. You want to prove yourself and say, we beat Penrith. And now we're going to beat the Roosters and string back-to-back wins together and get the media off our back and prove that we're real contenders because that's what fans want to see. That's what the media want to see to really cement Parramatta as a heavyweight in this competition. 
Yeah. Uh, so I for me, I agree with you guys wholeheartedly that those factors have a role to play, but we've got to get consistent. Yeah. Uh, look, I I won't disagree because I was disappointed, very disappointed in that first half effort, uh, given that we knew what the what the challenge was going to be. Uh, didn't still weren't able to measure up, and yet somehow found something in the second half that was missing in the first half. And you have to say, well, it's still a headspace problem if you can find it in the second half, but you couldn't find it in the first half. So it, it keeps coming back to that headspace issue. Now, you're also uh, putting aside the negatives. The form of the two M's, Madison and Moses, must surely have impressed you. For sure, guys, especially Mitch. I mean, he had that little passage of probably 20 minutes or so where he just showed his brilliance with that wonderful try and the way that he was running the ball and taking on the line and a great try assist at one point for Isaiah Papali. And he, he got the Dalian points to back it up as well. He's sitting firmly second on the Dalian leaderboard, which we're only going to see for another couple of weeks now. But it's it's good to see that Mitchell and Dylan as a halves combination are performing and turning up. And I don't really think you can single out any particular individuals or blame any particular individuals for last week's loss. I just think as a team, the effort probably wasn't all there. But Mitch was fantastic. And also Ryan Madison. It's the best uh, season I've seen him play in a Parramatta jersey ever. He's just fantastic. And I'm loving what I'm seeing. He obviously scored another try on the weekend and scored a, a try against Penrith the week before. And we all know that when players are out there and they're vying for a new contract deal that they always show up and put in these fantastic uh, performances. But from Maddo, it's just really, really good to see. And I'm concerned that you're going to have teams like the Dolphins trying to poach him. And you always get that with a player like Ryan Madison, who's a marquee man. He's a big name signing, and especially when he's playing well. But we really should be looking at doing our best to hold on to him because the form I've seen from him this year has been Unlike anything else I've seen from him in a Parramatta jersey. Well, mate, I will be, I will be covering uh, my thoughts on Madison and a deal with the the Eels with uh, a spotlight article. Hopefully this week we'll see how we go time wise. But just before we get into general NRL news, uh, the final bit of uh, Eels news that we're going to cover with you is uh, David Kidwell, a bit of a surprise exit out of the club. Shock exit, yeah. I think it was Monday night the news broke and we, I got a, a release from the club revealing that they had released David Kidwell effective immediately or he had asked for a release and the club had granted that in order to give him the chance to link up with Argentina Rugby Union, Michael Checker, in preparation for the upcoming Rugby World Cup in France, which is actually next year. But, yeah, a bit of a shock. I didn't really see it coming. And I think Kitty's now been there since 2018. He's seen uh, the squad develop, go from a wooden spoon to a finals contender and a you know a really solid outfit. And on the whole, I think he's done a pretty good job as a defensive coach. We've obviously leaked uh, more points than a lot of other sides this year particularly. And, you know, you don't point the finger at Kidwell. But, um, yeah, he's done a good job and he served the club. And I think that it... it on the upside, it gives us an opportunity to maybe try something different and bring someone else in who might be able to just tighten up our defense a little bit. I know you've got guys there like Mick Ennis and Paul McGregor who are probably working on our defensive structures as well. And I think that 
uh, it'll be interesting to see who we appoint next. Don't be surprised if they go for someone in-house like a McGregor and bring him bring him into that assistant uh, role position. We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, well done, David Kidwell. He was uh, a great little addition to the club, and I wish him all the best going forward and keen to see what happens next. Well, I wrote on this in our instant reaction the other day. My tip was that it would be filled internally, and my expectation was that Ryan Carr, the New South Wales uh, Cup coach, would step up into the assistant role. He's there on a full-time basis as it is. He's a tremendous coach on the rise. Uh, I believe he will be an NRL head coach in the future. And I think he's he's very talented. He's an excellent communicator out there on the field. Very good coaching skills, and uh, he he's my tip just to simply move in and and uh, and take over uh, from there. And I suppose the only decision that has would have to be made there is uh, what happens with the New South Wales Cup uh, side in terms of having a, a head coach for. For, for their team so that's my that's my tip it, um, is an internal change there uh, internal filling of the position um, I don't think there's any rush it doesn't seem like they're in any rush to really appoint anyone and uh, I'm not sure if you guys know anything about when we're going to get an announcement on who the next assistant will be but it doesn't seem like they're in any rush does it no, guys? No no and and as I said that to me um, is indicative that it's it's going to be handled from within, and and to me that actually seems like the way to go because I know that Ryan Carr was he was one of the teams that um, I'm trying to think what was it the Leeds Club Leeds, or was it Leeds brought uh, a, a panel over to uh, interview for potential head coaches in Australia? Yeah, yeah. So he was one of the candidates for that job. He's he's got that uh, little bit of history over in. The UK, uh, he was responsible for bringing Makahesi Makatoa to the club with him, uh, doing a tremendous job with the New South Wales Cup side over the last couple of years. He actually joined us the year before, but then we had COVID that struck there. So, uh, yeah, I look, I, I I haven't been backward in in singing his praises since he's joined the club because I've seen him in action out there on the field. I've, he's already. In training sessions that I've seen this year, there's already skills uh, sessions that he where he's led them, like with the NRL squad. So just as the assistant coaches would, there might be particular drills that they lead. It's the same with Ryan Carr. So from my way of thinking, he was already functioning as a fully fledged assistant coach within the squad because half this i mean half the squad are playing new south wales cup anyway when everyone's fully fit and during the pre-season during the season proper he's basically doing assistant coaching uh, roles there so that's why i think it was um straight up he goes into that into that role let's talk about the nrl in general mate because there's plenty going on especially around the bulldogs so um what what did you think about uh, Barrett's resignation? To be honest, I thought that it was only a matter of time. Trent Barrett, he couldn't see the year out. He hasn't performed as a coach. He's had a year and a bit now to prove himself in the role. And from my point of view and from a lot of people in the media's point of view, he unfortunately isn't the right man for the head coaching gig 
at such a big club like the Bulldogs. And results-wise, you look at uh, the past two years, five wins from, I believe, 34 games, which just simply isn't good enough. And although he made the decision to pull the pin, I think he might have done that uh, with a little bit of foresight, knowing that the board were potentially going to get rid of him anyway. And he wanted to make the make the call himself and be able to uh, control that decision rather than being taken out of his hands and being up to the board and, and other club officials to make that decision on his behalf. But I think that, yeah, he's not up to first-grade coaching. We saw it at Manly, didn't get the results. Now the Bulldogs didn't get results. I highly doubt you'll ever see him in the head coaching role again. He's a great assistant, but it's a big jump going from the assistant coach of a club to the head coach of a club. And unfortunately, Trent Barrett has proven that he's just not up to that standard. Someone like Craig Fitzgibbon, he now has the chance to prove himself, and so far he is doing so. But, yeah, Trent uh, and Baz, unfortunately, uh, not the man for the job. The dogs and no surprises, to be honest with you. I'm curious on your tips, first of all, at a, for the interim coach at the dogs, and then maybe your tip for the long-term replacement for Barrett. Great news today. I think uh, Mick Potter announced as the interim coach until – the rest are until the end of the season. I think that's a really, really smart move from the Bulldogs. Someone that's going to be in the role, he'll have the dressing room, he'll really steady the ship. He was coaching the Mounties reserve grade side, which helps as well. But I really like Mick Potter. I remember when he was at Parramatta, we saw some really good things from him. He's a lovely guy. I've met Mick on a number of occasions. He's He lives locally to where I'm based. And I've bumped into him a couple, bumped into him a couple of times and always has some really interesting insights. I remember, I think it was back in 2019, pre-season, I spoke to Mick and I said, this guy, Mike Aceva, is he the next big thing? And he said, watch out, he's going to be a real force to be reckoned with. And we saw that eventuate. But I I really like what the dogs have done there and I think he'll do a good job and maybe get the dogs or steer the dogs to a few wins before the end of the season, which I think is important for them. In terms of a long-term replacement, I've I've sort of been inundated this week by a number of people – given my relationship with Shane Flanagan, who's been considered for the top gig at the Bulldogs from next season. As, I, as I've said previously on the podcast, guys, and as, as I've told you, I'm good friends with Shane. I work with him. He's a colleague of mine at 2GB, and I'd love to see him in a head coaching role again soon. He deserves it. He's a proven winner. He's a success, and no doubt if he goes to the Bulldogs, I think he'll produce results. In my opinion, though, I just think that it's a huge responsibility given that his son is a player and a playmaker as a halfback. We've seen a lot of coaches coach their sons, um, the Clearies, Brad Arthur, uh, Kevy Walters as well. So it works and we know that it can be done, but it's a lot of pressure on Flano. And also having Gus Gould at the helm is also quite difficult because Gus likes to have, a, have his finger in every pie and be involved and really micromanage. And, and there'll be a lot of pressure. Whoever comes in as the, the next head coach, there'll be a lot of pressure no doubt. on them to perform. I think it's probably wiser to put someone who's experienced, someone like Shane, in the role. He knows what, what Gus is like, and we've spoken about that before. He's got a good relationship with Phil Gould. So I think that's probably the best decision for the dogs going forward. And, um, you know, if you put someone in like, uh, for example, Cameron Seraldo. You're throwing him in the deep end, and although he's a great assistant, it's making that jump once again. And I just feel like it's a that that'd be an over excessive amount of pressure on a on a, a debut first grade coach. So Shane's my pick. I think they'll give him the tick of approval, and I, from what I know, guys, the discussions are already underway to secure him as 
the Bulldogs coach from next year. And the other repercussion to come out of Barrett's departure is, of course, the players themselves. We've already seen Brent Naden shift almost immediately to the West Tigers. There's a little bit of rumours starting to surface about the next year's signings in in Kickout and Reed Marnie looking for green uh, looking to back out of their contracts and some players that are there at the moment, not just Naden but a couple of others looking to move to greener pastures this year. What are you hearing? What's your takes on everything, Spiro? First things first, let's speak about Brett Naden. Very shock move. Didn't see it coming. It was pretty much a matter of hours, I think, before Team List Tuesday that Naden had announced that he was moving across to the Tigers. And from what I know and from uh, well, my take on this is that when Naden signed to go to the Bulldogs, there was a clause in his contract that said if Trent Barrett was to move on, given Barrett was an assistant at Penrith and recruited Naden, then Brett Naden would have the chance to then negotiate with other clubs and leave effective immediately as well. So no surprises there. And that may be the case with um, with Matt Burton as well. I know that even before the Barrett decision, there was talk that he might move to another club. Um, and Tavita Pangai Jr., there's talk as well that he may be off uh, to another club. I know that he spoke with Danny Weidler, a colleague of mine from Channel 9, saying that he's committed to the Bulldogs and he loves the club and he wants to stay there. But that's all talk. And when push comes to shove and when money talks... Uh, you never know what can happen. So no surprise with Naden. On to Marnie and Kikau, we've seen statements issued from both managers. George Christodoulou, who manages Viliami Kikau, issued a statement yesterday saying that Kikau is committed to the Bulldogs from next season and this Barrett decision does not affect anything for him going forward. Reid Marnie's manager, Sam Ayub, very similar sort of message, but wasn't as thorough and in-depth and detailed in committing to the Bulldogs uh, in terms of next year. He did mention that he's contracted with the Bulldogs from next year, but he didn't really want to weigh into the debate or the saga too much. Uh, he did reaffirm that the commitment and the focus at this stage for 2022 is the Parramatta Reels. But from what I'm hearing, guys, I believe that there could be a contract, a clause in the contract of Reid Marnie as well that says that if Trent Barrett is not there from 2023, then Reid has the opportunity to renege on his deal and potentially backflip. Now, that's a possibility. I'm not 100% certain that there is that clause and that'll all happen and that's what Reid wants to do because at the end of the day, he was uh, given more money, a considerable larger amount from the Bulldogs when he was signed at the club than what Parramatta were offering. So if it's a matter of money, he's probably going to stay with the Bulldogs. But if he's really had a long, hard think about this decision and Parramatta somehow work out a strategy in a way that they can lure Reid back and secure him and, and make sure that he stays in the blue and gold for another few years, then maybe he'll consider that. So keep your eyes peeled. Anything can happen. But given the nature of the Naden move, and I know it's different because he was a pen, former Penrith player and was coached by Barrett and was bought to the club by Barrett. Given that, do not be surprised if there are backflips from Viliami Kikau especially and even Reid Marnie. Well, that'll be a big 
space that people will be looking at for the rest of the year. And I reckon the announcement about the Canterbury coach for 2023 onwards will probably have a big bearing on what happens with a few players either uh, at the club now or coming to the club. Now, before you go, mate, as usual, we're going to get your tip for the Eels game this week against the Sea Eagles. So we're after your, uh, your score your first try scorer and your best on field? I don't think I got anywhere near uh, my prediction for last week. I think it's <laughs> Red Marnie to score a try, 20-14 to 14, Parramatta to win, and best on field, I think, Clint Gutherson. I'm really looking forward to this Friday night, guys, and what I'm looking forward to uh, the most is being at the ground, up there, Combank Stadium, in the box, really uh, soaking it in and, and getting a nice view from up there uh, of this fantastic clash between two and our arrivals. And I'm also really looking forward to catching up with you guys. I know you'll be at the match and uh, you'll be doing uh, a podcast, I believe, post-match from the Leagues Club. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys there and uh, being able to chat with you and, and catching up with some other fans that I haven't seen in a while because I haven't been to a home game since round one. So it's been a little while, but I'm really pumped for this Friday night. Uh, predictions. Parramatta are going to win. I think that they're going to bounce back strong. Manly were abysmal last week. Uh, that Friday night match, they showed really nothing in attack. They're lacking. And, and as we saw, Tom Travojevic isn't at his best. Manly can say whatever they want, but you can just clearly see that he is just out of his depth. And I, I was actually at the game the week before when they played the Tigers, and you could see that he, was, he wasn't at 100% and he still isn't. So I think Parramatta will win, uh, score 30 points to 12 Parramatta's way. I think that uh, Clint Gutherson, first try scorer, 150th game for the King, uh, 150th NRL game, which is a huge milestone. Really happy for, for Gutho. So he will be my first try scorer. And best on ground, um, let's go for, um, I'm going to say Junior Paulo at home Friday night. He's going to have a big one. Heading into Origin, he, I think he needs to put a few more good performances together if he wants to be picked in that starting uh, side for the Blues. So, Junior, as my man of the match, best on ground. Good call, mate. And uh, obviously, we are looking forward to catching up with you at, at uh, fri- on Friday night at, Bank- at Combank Stadium. As usual, we'll be looking forward as well to catching up with you next week for all your takes on this upcoming round of football and any news that's floating around. Yeah, the, so thanks for joining us, mate. Spitting out such spicy drama for us to talk about. So always good to have Spiro on to break it all down. <laughs> oh, it was good, guys. And uh, keep your eyes peeled because it could get really exciting. And you all know how much I love Red Marnie. So I'm really going to be doing some digging and trying to get some answers on this on a personal level. And as always, we'll be bringing the exclusive scoop right here to you guys on the Cumberland Throw podcast. Thanks, mate. Catch you next week. Cheers, thanks, mate. Guys. Go, para. And as always, following the behind the mic, let's get into a bit of news. News team, assemble! And let's start things off with the updated injury report, which came out yesterday afternoon on Tuesday. Uh, we've been so used to it being seven, eight, nine layers deep 60s, but this week, just three players are left on the injury report uh, with Mike Acevo, Sean Russell, and Murata Niakore all cleared within the last two weeks to return the play. All that's left now are Hayes Dunster and Ray Stone, who both have done their knees for the season, unfortunately. 
but Wonga Blake is the only other active player we expect to get back this year. And we've finally got a timeline on his return, and it's not far off, mate. We're going into round 11 now. He's due back even next week or the week after. Yeah, it's it's fantastic news. It's, as was said, around your Teamless Tuesday that the reinforcements have arrived. And this emphasises that it was a short-term issue and uh, looking to bring in emergency players into the squad or elevate people from second tier to NRL squad level just to fill a two- or three-week hole in the in the team lists was going to be i think a, a bit of a rush job yeah, so i'm the, i'm glad the club is shown I'm glad that we had the patience mate the club has shown that if there is value to be had in not just short term they'll go out and make an acquisition like that but at the same time they're not going to rush out and blow cap space on <clears throat> and especially the way the market's been dictating some of these contracts you know we know that uh, a lot of these guys at lesser clubs or clubs that aren't as performing as strongly as Parramatta and, and the other top clubs tend to have these guys on pretty significant contracts relative to their performance. So didn't make, didn't rush out and make a brash uh, acquisition and it's paid dividends now as the injury reward really fins out and getting Wonga back is going to be huge. I mean, he's a guy that I know you talk about getting match fitness back into some of these blokes, but he's a, a player you can just you know plug back into the back line, whether it's at centre or wing, as the team needs and he's going to be a performer. I believe that's had last week's uh, lower grades been played because it was a global buy that was out there for the lower grades. But I'm I'm pretty sure you would have seen Micah playing last weekend. He looked very fit at training the week before, was involved in opposed work. He, he must have been touch and go about playing in the uh, previous week's New South Wales Cup match. Um I guess when you're talking about coming back from that sort of injury, that if you if you err on the side of caution, it's probably the best way to go with that. So if we think about our original timeline, I wasn't expecting him back before round 12 when it was origi- when the ori- injury originally yeah, this happened. Is, this is right so to have him back in, in round 11, yeah. and for me to think he looked pretty fit um, round 12, nine and ten, then I th- I think it's doing the right thing in, in waiting these extra couple of weeks to get to this round 11. I'm also interested in seeing when Offahiki Ogden gets to come back. He's He'd be very close. And maybe not too far behind is a bit of a uh, forgotten player from the preseason qu- squad, Tony Mattaelli who joined the preseason at the start of the year got an injury it's been it was significant in that he's 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 getting closer i'm i'm thinking he's probably still uh, a couple of weeks away from returning at new south wales cup level but he will be another interesting in because he spent last year with newcastle and has returned to Parramatta. He was playing some New South Wales Cup games for Newcastle last year. So he's a big unit. He's a Parramatta junior who went to Newcastle, has returned. So keep an eye out for him being named in lower grades in the next uh, few weeks. And that's going to be an exciting addition to the back row stocks for the Eels and a player like Ellie Ellsgham who has 
first grade potential in his outlook. So uh, someone very cool to see come back and play for the Eels. But that's the end of injury report. And thankfully, it's a short one. Obviously, <laughs> you want them to be short. And it hasn't been that way for the Eels for the vast majority of the season to date. But they are getting healthy heading into the back half of the season, which is very, very good. Moving on, Spiro already broke this behind the mic. But David Kimball departed the Eels effective immediately this week. Heading off to the Los Pumas, going over to Argentina to join Michael Chaka as a defensive coach for the Argentinian national team. I mean, at the very least, that's going to be a very fun uh, work experience. Argentina is an awesome place, got some great cuisine, great culture, and uh, they love they, they love their rugby. You know, they're as much as they do love their soccer or, or football, if you want to call it the proper thing there as well. Yeah, what a wonderful experience for him to be able to go and have. Uh, my thanks to uh, Dave to for his time at the Eels. I must admit, I certainly enjoyed the conversations I got to have with him um, going right back to 2018 when he first joined the club and uh, some of the and after a couple of performances even in the last couple of years where the Eels didn't quite measure up in, in defence and we saw his his uh, reaction and heard his thoughts afterwards at that training so uh, he, he was a colourful character and what I particularly enjoyed was the contact sessions in the sand pit at Old Sail Yards when the Eels training was there because it was not a place for the faint-hearted. <laughs> when you'd see just the – when they were working on the first contact in there, and, and I must admit, having players – seeing players like Bo Scott who – enjoyed I, I think he enjoyed hurting people even at training as much as out on match days seeing people like him in the sandpit and and seeing some of the the ways that they constructed the the contact sessions in the sandpit it was all about making the players really uncomfortable in what they were doing and to work through uh, that discomfort as as well as obviously the technique of the of the contact and um, looking to get an opponent down onto the ground or and conversely to fight against it. So it was just as much about fighting the uh, the uh, defender as it was to be the defender getting getting the player to the ground. So they were interesting to watch. We were able to watch them up close. It was, uh, yeah, great sessions, great sessions there. And, again, my thanks to Kitty for being a coach who was very welcoming of – visitors at training and and had the time to always had the time to to either call out hello or have a few words and uh yeah great bloke and um thank thanking him for his contributions and wishing him well in what is not only a, a great career opportunity but i'm sure is also going to be a fun adventure for him yes sir moving on if we had a departure in kidwell the club had some retentions and an acquisition in the NRLW. So last week we had the news that uh, Dean Witter, sorry, would be coming back as the NRLW coach for the season 2022 proper this year. We obviously had the 2021 season that was delayed into this year, already played for the NRLW, but Dean returns and he's going to have a couple of familiar faces with him. Tiana Penatani, the outstanding left centre for the Blue and Gold, has re-signed for two seasons, so she'll be here to the end of 2023. Joining her as a Back-to-back eel now will be Kennedy Charrington at lock forward. And Kennedy's younger sister, Ruben Charrington, who plays dummy half, will also be joining the Eels for the 2022 season. Uh, so, uh, sorry, Ruben, uh, another talented young player. 
probably opens up some question marks about Nita Maynard's place in the team, but oftentimes you've got two dummy halves in a roster, so that doesn't preclude the fact that Maynard has to move on just uh, just immediately. But yeah, he will start and get the ball rolling on the NRLW team for this year or for this actual proper year's uh, 60s. Well, look, no surprise about um, Tiana and Kennedy. Both had outstanding seasons. Also, when we spoke to Kennedy in uh, the tip sheet towards the end of last year, she was full of praise for younger sister Ruben. And I think we suggested at that stage maybe she could look to getting her to the club. She held up and her the bargain. There you go. Lo and behold, we've got the Cherrington sisters lining up in the upcoming season for the Eels. So that's terrific news all round. And we already mentioned that he's back on the field, but Mike Acevo earlier this week or late last week, the time has blurred for me, but he, as pretty much expected, has taken up his player option for season 2023, coming off a devastating knee injury. Very few players are going to bet on themselves in the open market. Instead, he's taken up the uh, security of a, another year at the Eels and a chance to uh, rebuild his playing stocks on the field. And like I said, that's pretty much expected. Yeah, whether you're looking at getting a new contract at the at your current club or increasing your market value out there for rival clubs or even rival codes, being able to have a full season of showcasing your skills has got to be far better in terms of increasing your op- increasing your value. So, uh, not as you say, not a surprise. And also in a system that we know loves to feed its left wingers, so he'll be in a good position to put some good numbers and some good tape on the field uh, one way or the other next year. And, I mean, obviously with Parramatta, we want to fit and fire up uh, Mike Acevo on the field. So good to see that. Uh, last bit of news, uh, going back to the juniors here. It was City versus Country on the weekend, 60s. It was a global buy for Cup, Flag and Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership in the lower grades, but they did play a bit of rep football. Eels had reps in the under-16s and under-18s men's or boys, as well as the open-age uh, ladies' competition uh, in terms of the two boys' games, we had uh, City versus Country with City prevailing in the 16s to the tune of 36-12. Paramount forward Jordan Uta scored a double. We saw plenty of him in the Harold Matthews this year. And then in the under-18s, a couple of eels there. One was Charlie Geimer, who scored a try. But uh, equally important was the fact that it was Coach Stephen O'Day, uh, who we might, uh, might be familiar with, given he <laughs> coaches in the junior rep system for us. And... Uh, Equally importantly, there was the fact that Ethan Sanders has uh, had a close to a man of a match performance. If you watch the highlights, he's involved in everything as uh, the city team ran out 42 to 18 winners quite comprehensively. Yeah, Sanders had a finger in pretty much every try that was scored. Um, very good young house prospect. And we were we spoke about him plenty this year, but completely skipped the SG ball to go through Jersey Flags. He went from under 17s to under 21s and has not missed a beat. Yeah. So bear, that bearing in mind, I think. I think he might have got two, one or two games at the start of the year for the SG ball. When, uh, but he did the entire preseason with the flag. Um, a couple of games at the start of the year with the SG ball. Um, back to the flag, uh, which is an under-21s competition. So he's he's doing well as a an 18-year-old this year in the under-21s competition and good in that first representative experience for this year. And uh, let's he's one to watch for people who like to get out there and watch the lower grades. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye on the progress of Ethan Sanders' halfback for the Parramatta Reels. And I have to imagine there's going to be New South Wales versus Queensland, Queensland junior reps, which we'll see some of these players backing up into, given that they start 
in the what would ostensibly be the New South Wales uh, pre-selection game. So something to watch out for down the road as Origin sort of creeps up on us. But that's the end of the news, mate. And before we get to the previews, we'll um, have a bit of fun with um, which is better last week. So we're going to go on the other side and we'll play a very quick game of our which is worse or what's worse. And um, we'll start off with an easy one. Um, I think we'll save that there's a, a good one to finish off with, which I think is going to generate a bit of conversation. But in terms of the footy, mate, there's a, a lot of ways to lose a game. And as we all know, you know, you can have the close ones, golden point, extra time back in the day. You can uh, get absolutely hammered. And that's one of the topics I look at here. What is worse as a footy fan? Not necessarily, not necessarily Parramatta, just, you know, whether it's New South Wales, Australia, your club footy, losing to a controversial call or getting blown out uh, and, you know, having the scoreline just run up on you. Oh, mate, uh, I know which one I fire up about the most. I fire <laughs> up about the refereeing, a bad refereeing call, losing it. The frustration levels reach epic proportions. Maybe maybe that's a sad reflection on having a history of, a, of following a team which has had periods of time where the scores have been big scores racked up against us that I'm – you know, less fired up about having a cricket score put on us in a game of football. But for me, the worst scenario is the game taken away that you've earned. It, it's really interesting because we talk about it in a in the actual sort of sports notion of it when you're a player or a coach that you have to have almost like a goldfish memory when it comes to those big thumping losses, right? Because there's nothing you can extract from them. There's you know, nothing that the review is going to bring out to say we need to be better in this particular aspect because when you get hammered, you need to be better across the board. So you sort of, even, even as a fan, I think that applies too. Like you'll grumble about, oh, I remember that time South Sydney put 50 on us or, you know, whatever. But yeah, when you lose to a controversial core, it's like someone puts a glowing coal in, in like your heart and you just feel that burning across the rest of the weekend. It just seeps, <laughs> you know, and... And, you know, you, you, you want to talk to everyone about it, about how dumb that call was, how the referee made the mistake, to the point where everyone just tells you to start shutting up. It's like, why do you care so much about a, a call? It's like, yeah, but it cost us the game. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've been burning since the end of last year with the refereeing performance against the Panthers. Exactly. In the, in the, exactly. In the finals. So, and maybe it's – maybe also when we're talking about the those blowout scores – is that they seem to be more frequent in the modern game that Definitely. when one Definitely. team gets momentum that it's very hard to get it back. And that last year, South made the grand final. They had a couple of 50-point hammerings, didn't mm-hmm. they, during they got, the season? They got pants a couple of times, yep. Yeah, and, and yet they still were able to qualify for the grand final. And in years gone by, you used to say that, well, if you've had a 40-point hammering at some point in the season, there's no record of a team getting beaten by those sort of points during the year and then winning the comp or making the grand final. Well, that certainly happened. And um, so I, I guess, and we've seen so many times where teams have turned around a thumping and won the next week. And that that goes to your goldfish memory aspect but yeah so for me i i can get over a loss that's where the team hasn't played so well reasonably easy i i i can't get over being robbed in a match so yeah what's worse definitely losing a match because of a poor refereeing decision and uh sticking with our theme of food because we're gluttons obviously 
Um, which is worse when you, when you go into the footy, mate? A flat cola, whether it's Pepsi or Coke or whatever your choice is, but a flat cola or one of those lukewarm pies or sausage rolls where it's not cold, but it's not hot, and it's just in that sort of purgatory of lukewarmness. <sighs> Maybe it's what's easier to get rid of. <laughs> because if I get either, I'm not consuming them. The, the, wor- the worst are those colas or soft drinks that hap- that you get on tap where they, they're probably the no-name or, or whether the... LA ice the, cola. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or it could be that it just hasn't been... If, they, if they've come... If they're tapped in off a off a keg or something like that, where they're flat or there's just something wrong with it, and it just doesn't taste like what it's supposed to be, you know, you ask for a a coke or a, a coke no sugar or lemonade or whatever it might be, and what you taste tastes nothing like what you've ordered, and you just yeah, first thought is th- this is going to be tipped out, so maybe it's easy to tip that out. Um, a cold pie, mate. I'm not touching it. So, oh, just, um, uh, so I reckon what's worse is probably um, the the drink because the pie can just go straight into the bin. <laughs> the, the drink. If I'm at the football and trying to find out where to tip it, and not upset someone around me, that's that's probably the the worst. Gun to my head. If I had to consume one of those two items to save my life, oh, maybe maybe it's the collar. Like flat cola, I, I suppose I can stomach, but that lukewarm pie is just. Ugh. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so if it, if it then becomes a question of you have to consume one or the other, then what's worse is the pie because <laughs> there could be nothing worse than the the lukewarm pie oh, just... because yeah, if you if if your task is you got to finish it, you can't take one bite. You've actually got to have the whole thing. We have the whole thing of the of the drink. The drink's like the medicine. <laughs> you know, down the hatch, exactly. get about it. The pie where you got to chew your way through it. No, thank you. Oh, no, goodness. thank you. It is the it, it would be the worst. So, yeah. And closing out, uh, which is worse this week is the question that you inspire this entire segment for, uh, for round eleven. Uh, given that our opponents are the Manly Seagulls, which is worse, Penrith Park or Brookvale, or I suppose in modern nomenclature, Points Bet Stadium or Four Pine Stadium. Okay, so there's two ways you can look at this. The supporters that you have to sit close to mm-hmm. and the facilities. So if it's the supporters that you have to sit close to, I've had too many poor experiences, bad experiences in recent years around Panthers supporters. I'm talking about cop and abuse, um, copping insane opinions being yelled at me, having things thrown at me just simply for wearing Parramatta colours. So hate it. Hate hate having to sit near supporters who are like now I don't want to I don't want to call all Penrith supporters like that because in one of the times when I was at Penrith Park and I had this you know, was a supporter or two that were giving me hell just for the just because they wanted to. Um, I had other supporters, Penrith supporters around me saying, mate, don't pay any attention to them. We're happy to have you sitting here with us anytime. So, you know, that every every club's got those supporters. I've just seemed to have found the, <laughs> the worst of, of Penrith Park in recent years. However, facilities, 
at Penrith Park, even though they're about to be redeveloped, better than Brookvale. Parking and uh, the club across the ground, uh, access, travel, all a lot easier than Brookvale Oval. Uh, Brookvale Oval as a facility. Okay, forget the fact that they've got a bit of a new facility at one end. They've still got the rest of the ground, which lives in the 1960s, and it really does. I don't know about anyone else that's been there in recent times, but the last time I was there, and I think I had to pay something in the vicinity of $50 or $60 to sit Mm -hmm. in the stand behind the goalposts. I don't even know what that stand is called. But the space between the rows was almost non-existent so that my knees – and, look, I'll, I'll say I'm six foot one, so, you know, I'm reason, I'm just over six foot one, so I'm reasonably tall. But, you know, my legs aren't ridiculously long. They were digging into the seat in front of me, like just in a normal seated position, which meant that the person who was sitting in front of me, every time they sat sat up or sat down – the seat would dig into my knees. So I I was having to watch the person in front of me. If they wanted, if they were coming to sit down, I'd stand up so that the I'd, I'd be able to ease back into my seat. And it's just the price that was paid for that. And if you wanted to sit in the stand that ran alongside the ground for, for a better view, well, you nearly had to take out a mortgage for a pretty ordinary seat there. Uh, hill on the other side, no, thank you, not in... You know, I I went and sat in on plenty of hills all through my teens, my my childhood, my teens, my early twenties. I didn't mind sitting on a hill, but now with the prices to go into games, if I'm if I'm paying uh, a decent price to go to a game, I want to have a seat that I'm watching from. Maybe I've been sport from being <laughs> at uh, at Combank Stadium. But yeah, you've articulated both sides fairly well, and I've got to say that if this is a gun to my head scenario again, um, I might be just sna- be snatching the firearm and pulling the trigger myself, uh, rather than going out to either of the facilities there. Uh, it it's not it's not great. No, <laughs> I mean, no, it's not. It's not. And yeah, I can throw in the difficulty getting parking at Brookvale Oval oh, with look, a big crowd. The, the entire process of going to Brookvale, and the last time I was there was actually that stinker that we had in 2018. To, Early in the season, I was out there and it was forty degrees, and I got cooked on the hill, which is now just it's that that new uh, end of end of field, uh, field stadium uh, uh, stand. Sorry, not stadium. Uh, yeah, just the process, even from the inner west of Sydney, just to get out to the northern beaches, it is extensive and painful. Finding parking, you got to park way, way, away and then make your way up the street there. Uh, like you said, the the facilities aren't great. The field is awful. I mean, and no other field has a, the sort of reputation for injuries than Brookvale does. It is. I I have a question, which is, I don't know. I I've actually been at Brookvale back in the in the eighties, late seventies and eighties, when you'd get crowds of twenty five, twenty six. I think the grand record something like twenty seven thousand, but big crowds like that for Eels and Manly games, and. Nowadays, you get the the hill packed when, and even before they built that the stand at the end, which takes out a little bit of hill space. But a nineteen or twenty thousand crowd is jam packed in to Brookvale Oval, 
I wonder how on earth they ever crammed oh, in an extra seven it's, it's, or eight thousand people back it's the in those days. I mean, I, I do <laughs> remember. I do remember how crowded it was standing actual on the hill. sardines. Yeah, exactly. But but I still, even then, I I still don't know how they were ever able to because we're talking seven or eight thousand people. That's like a a, a decent. Um, regional venue might hold seven or eight thousand people <laughs> yep. for all the way around the field. Yep. I'm, I mean, it's not like that's a huge ground as it is. So, how they ever fitted in an extra seven or eight thousand people uh, is beyond zero, me. But, zero um, concern for safety is what it was. Like the SCG back in the day, some of those numbers you see before they had the expanded stands that we have now, it, it just is crazy. Like, yeah. uh, you know, there's no concern for any sort of fire uh, issue or fire drum hazard or anything like that. But yeah, different times and different numbers because of it. Uh, that brings an end to a, a rather poison pill laced uh, <laughs> what's worse or which is worse. Um, as always, you can drop your opinions on e any of those three scenarios uh, as to which you think is the uh, more Faustian of the two options. And uh, we're going to move on, as always, close out the show with a series of previews for round 11. We get the Jersey flag and the New South Wales Cup back this week. Are they actually build us round 11? For these grades? Yeah, they are. So round 11 in these grades too. Um, as always, we'll start with the under-21s, who chronologically are the last game this week uh, with that doubleheader out at Combank on Friday night. The flag themselves are playing at 5.30pm at Ringrose Park on Saturday. So that's one of our old stomping grounds, mate. And uh, I know we, we just uh, had a sit-down for a future podcast with uh, Clay from the Guildford Owls, and he threw down the challenge to Wenty. He reckons that the best uh, chip and gravy rolls are at Guildford, not uh, Ringrose. So we're going to have to explore the science behind that sort of thing in the future. But for now, we will be taking on the Manly Seagulls in the flag on Saturday night out at Ringrose. For the Eels, they're looking to bounce back after a last start loss against the Penrith Panthers before that bye. And they've made a few changes this week as we talked about those returns from the injury ward and the senior, the senior grades. That means that that flow-down effect is positive for them, giving them a lot of troops back this week. And we'll start at fullback where Dantori Louis will be playing in the custodial role with Moala Graham Taufa and Matthew Komalafi, who spent plenty of time up in the flag this year on the wings. That bumps Corey Fenning, who was previously fullback to centre with Josh Tupolotu, also a player who spent some time on the flanks. He'll be playing centre this week. Jabril Kalachi goes from the centres 258 as that reshuffle continues with Ethan Sanders, who we already praised earlier in this podcast, the halfback. In the front row, they've got some familiar faces back there. Both Jack Colavati and David Hollis give them a bit of security around the ruck as their preferred starting prop boards. David Tui is still the dummy half because it looks like Cruz Natili Schmidt has done something serious, 60s. We haven't seen him for a long, long time uh, in the team sheet. We have to wait and see if we can get a report on that. But in the back row, you've got Lachlan Blackburn, Peter Tateo, and another player that spent some time in the cup in Ryan Jones. He's a lock forward. On the bench, the Eels have only named... Three of their 14, 15, 16, 17 traditional plays, and that's Nicholas Lenars, a player I'm really happy to see back. The big hyphen, Jonte Jr. Beffen Mesa. He hurt himself badly in the preseason, late in the preseason 60s, and it's been, what, nearly three months of recovery for him. Um, but Junior, Jonte Jr. is a, a big athletic prop and was doing a lot of good things in the uh, pathways prior to getting hurt this year. Um, and Nikau Raffle rounds out the three-man bench. They do have two reserves in Brock Parker and Larry Mwaga Tutia. Um, but given the templating with the, the Flag and Cup team sometimes, I'm not sure if it's a miss, missing player or if one of Brock Parker or Larry, Larry are meant to be the 17th man. We'll have to wait and see on Saturday. Yeah, and as you say, it could be it could be like a um, a templating version of a uh, typo mm -hmm. error. Uh, 
interesting looking at the table. The Eels are officially in second last place in the Jersey flag competition. I really have the sense that that's not a position that they deserve, nor is it a position that they'll hold. But that has to start this week. Well, first of all, there are re- obviously there's reinforcements that have come this week. There's that reshuffle where um, Coach Simon Walford is all looking for something from his backline players that he hasn't got so far. Manly in a very similar position on equal points with the Eels there in 10th place. You'd have to think that this is a game that the Eels should take. And I think given the team that we're able to field this week, they've got to be in the best chance of returning to the winners list than they have for the last couple of months. And uh, speaking of Manly, we're so used to seeing both their flag and cup teams uh, proliferated with ex-Paramatta players. But looking at their list this year, the um, the only player I really recognise that has worn the blue and gold is on the bench, and it's Ollie Clements, who played a bit of back row for us during that uh, COVID-interrupted uh, couple of years and has obviously departed the Eels for the Seagulls. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, and he was, I think he was originally from the Central Coast, Correct. wasn't he? Yes, he was a Central Coast uh, pickup. Yeah, yeah. So that's on 5.30pm out at Ringrose Park. Knock on wood, I should be able to get out to this one and do a bit of coverage, but we'll have to wait and see because uh, it is election day, isn't it, on Saturday? That's right, yeah. yeah. So depending on how the rest of my uh, day shakes out, it could end up being a bit of a squeeze, but hopefully I can get out there. But that brings us to the uh, first of the two games in the doubleheader on Friday night. And curiously, this one kicks off at 5.30pm, 60s, which is a full two and a half hours before the NRL kicks off, which means it's going to be a big window for me and you. And if you have a fans to try and fill as we wait for kickoff on what I imagine is going to be a very cool Friday evening. But the Eels getting some troops back in this grade too. Starting at fullback, you've got the captain, Jordan Rankin, a couple of very good wingers for the grade, and Mike Acevo and Sean Russell, uh, with the uh, centres that we've come to be really accustomed to in this grade, and Zach Sini and Samuel Luizu. In the halves, you've got Jack A. Williams at 5'8". Jake Arthur is the halfback. Front row, good young forward, and Tavita Talmapenu, he's come across this year and being quite impressive, flag eligible, but holding his own in the New South Wales Cup. He'll partner with Rimu Gregg in the front row, Mitch Rain, the rake. In the back row, outstanding prospect, Ellie Osgerham partners Bryce Cartwright on the edges. Brendan Hans, showing his utility value. He's played a bit of halves. He's played a bit of dummy half. Um, he's been on the bench too, and now he's going to be the starting lock forward this week. So we're going to be very interesting to see how he handles those duties. On the bench, you've got Jaden Yates. Solomon Iduki finally comes back from a troublesome hamstring injury. He's going to be the uh, sort of emergency back on the bench, partnering Luca Moretti and Luke Bain as the final two interchange players. Um, they're taking on a Manly Seagulls outfit who, I, like I said, uses a ton of XLs in here that you can sort of recognize and pick out, but looking at this lineup, I've got Bruce Ward, spent a bit of time in our flag system, and on the bench, Joey Tremontano, that's a blast from the past. Uh, the player it sure that, is. The, the player that we actually, or ostensibly traded the Bulldogs with for Reed Money, going back in the day. And, aside and from, uh, renowned for a little stouse with Jared Hayne. Correct, correct. In the, in the World Cup. That's right. Um, and beyond that, I mean, I'm looking at this team, and I've got, I mean, obviously the... Uh, I say obviously, so James Seguiara is probably the, the headline act there as he returns from a long, was it two-plus year suspension for performance-enhancing drugs uh, when in, during his tenure at the Broncos. He returns looking to make a name for himself in the NRL again with the Manly Seagulls. And then the other name that jumps out, and I don't know if it's connected to uh, the Today Show host, but Ben Stefanovic. Uh, no, I think it's a, he's a, that's spelt with a V where I think the... Oh, um, is he a PH for the... Oh, there you go. The, the it shows you how much I keep up with uh, pop culture stuff in the Australian media. 
but yeah, this is not a strong looking manly outfit on or Blacktown Workers Seagulls outfit on paper. Um, and I think that's reflected in their position on the ladder. If I just quickly pull that up and don't click the ad, which I did, click the ad. There we go. So effect. Yeah, they're coming second to last. Whereas the yeah, Eels, well, they've only won one match this year. Yeah. Uh, the Eels have had a couple of losses lately with the greatly weakened lineup against. Uh, uh, well, certainly the, the both the Raiders and the Panthers were very strong. The Raiders team that they played essentially elevated a whole bunch of their players that starred yeah. in the game against the Eels at yeah. Kellyville Park. And I, I remember going on about, I don't believe, I can't believe how this person's in reserve grade and this person's in reserve yeah, grade. There this was person. genuine NRL talent across the park for that Raiders team and it was no surprise they were then immediately called back into the NRL uh, following a good win against the Eels in that particular round. But yeah, this and is... Of course the, and of course, when they played the Panthers, the Panthers club... When in the week that uh, we took them on, uh, I'm talking about across the grades because there were three grades of uh, Panthers teams and Eels teams that clashed on that Friday night. They, I think, they had one player that was missing from their club, <laughs> which, which, which was uh, Sorensen. That's, that's amazing. That particular week, so they they were definitely full strength in both the NRL and the New South Wales Cup. But yes, a chance for the Eels to bounce back after that global buy and you know get back into the uh, climbing back towards the top four contention. I think a, a win doesn't get them immediately back in there, but does uh, keep them in the hunt. And it's obviously on paper a game they should win, but you need, you don't win games on paper. We all know that, so that's going to be something for them to make sure they get done on Friday night. We won't be giving you full updates of this game because I we've got the um, stuff to set up for the post game, but. Uh, we might be end up tweeting some stuff on the official account. Otherwise, uh, you can follow us there. Which brings us to the main event, which kicks off at seven fifty-five PM at Combank Stadium. Uh, Eels taking on a traditional rival and their sister club, both incepted in nineteen forty-seven. The Manly Warringah Seagulls. For the Seagulls this week, sixties. They've got one notable change in the backline, but otherwise, I don't think they've got too many differences. Yeah, only Ben Tabovich is officially listed as out from their round ten roster. Starting at fullback, it's the outstanding but injured. Tom Tobojevic, he's uh, a bit banged up with that knee and was hobbling around the last couple of games. On the wings, they've got Christian Tuopolotu and Ruben Garrick. Morgan Harper replaces Tom's younger brother, Ben, in the uh, left centre position, I want to say. Alpha Tolatau Kula on the right, who is a very exciting young prospect with plenty of speed and uh, short area quickness. In the halves, it's Kieran Foran and Dowie Cherry Evans. Front row and forward pack in general has got quite a bit of extra Parramatta players in there. You've got Josh Aluai and Sean Kepi, the two bookends. Both of them have spent some time in the Parramatta system. Lock and Croker is the dummy half. In the back row, you've got Hamoli Olokowatu and Andrew Davey. Obviously, we're very familiar with Davey and Olokowatu. There was a story in the press this week about how he was turned away as, I think, a 14-year-old uh, in the Eels systems before giving up on rugby league. But Jack Dubovic is the lock forward on the – I might say on the halves, on the interchange bench. Dylan Walker, Josh Shushter, Martin Tapau, and Tafal Fowler Sipley. Extended roster, Ethan Bullimore, Kurt DeLui, K.O. Weeks, Jamie Humphreys, Alec uh, Tutaveki. Zach Fulton and Jacob Sykes. Yeah, so, I mean, they've got strike powers, no denying that. They've got a very good set of halves, 60s, but Tom Tabojevic is hobbling around. This is a game where you want to get on top of him and really try and limit his impact. Yeah, yeah. You'd normally be highlighting him as the as the player to watch. I think he's, he's the player to... Look, I, I doubt that he's going to play... That's just a personal doubt. There's which no would, which would mean inside Garrett to fullback, and then 
they'd bring in a winger, you'd think? Or would it be Dylan Walker to fullback? I don't know. It's I mean, it, traditionally they put Ruben Garrick at fullback when Tom isn't available. And then I'm just looking at their extended roster. Who can play? I mean, you could push Harper to wing and then bring in a centre or call to wing and bring in a centre. I'm not really sure who in their extended roster plays wing, though. I, I mean, yeah, that, that, look, that, that's, that's probably, that might be a point to the fact that he is actually going to play. But you look at a class player like him, and why would you want to play him busted? Then and it looks like he's playing busted at the, at the time. He, he's got his knee heavily strapped. Last week they said it was a cork that was causing that. Well, they're expecting him to get over that cork within the week. And, okay, that is possible. But it still means that to an extent he's going to play busted. He might turn around and have an absolute blinder. Yeah, run and, for 250 score free embarrass, and embarrass us at, at, at Combank Stadium. But um, I think our priority with, with him is that – we don't so much worry about him as an individual, but rather the plays that he's involved in. And I'm sure that that's what Coach Brad Arthur would be looking at. Not not so much coaching the against an individual, but rather the plays that are the pet plays involving these players, the, the attacking moves that they will put on. Um, occasionally there's a bit, you, you think, yes, there has to be some focus on the idiosyncrasies, of different players, but Manly Manly have certain go to plays that they that they cause us problems with. Very true. They they like to catch us um, our our compacted defence uh, short, so they've had a lot of success going out wide and and drawing in the the compacted defence and finding space on the outside. They like the outside inside play. They like the the hooked kick back on the inside that Daly Cherry Evans likes to go with. Uh, they've got some talented, uh, very strong young forwards that can cause a bit of havoc on the on the uh, edges. So look, they they are a team which you can't take for granted defensively. And I think I'm I'm putting aside their performance of last week. That was just awful. And you know that they were hurting when they were coming off. Oh yeah, oh, you don't get. I mean, we get blanked thirty-eight to nil by the Brisbane Broncos. Obviously, far better in this iteration than they have been in recent years. But they also still carry that sort of stigma. It's the Brisbane Broncos are not very good. You know that that's yeah. going to be humiliating for Manly, even if the Broncos are obviously an ascending team. Uh, so you certainly can't assume that they're going to play anywhere near that bad this week. And for the Eels, they've made a couple of changes themselves this week. Uh, we already mentioned that the injury list has been cleaned up somewhat, and that's reflected in the team selections. At fullback, though, as part of an unchanged backline, it's Quentin Gufferson captaining the team. You've got Hayes Perham on the left flank with Bailey Simonson on the right. In the centres, Will Penasini and Tom Opacic will play right and left, respectively. We've got Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses unchanged, as always, in the halves. Front row, also unchanged, Reagan Campbell-Gillard uh, Campbell and Junior Barlow will part in the Reed Marnie. Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali'i are named as the two starting edges. With our first change coming uh, at lock forward, with Ryan Madison named to start following an outstanding run of form uh, throughout pretty much the majority of the season so far now. He's been very, very good, and it's not surprising to see him name the start. Um, although there would be a concern about potentially weakening our impact off the bench, but that's sort of rectified when you look to the interchange and you see that Makahesi Makatoa is in the 14 and some chump named Murata Niakore is in the number 15. That's a big in for the Eels. Murata, obviously, uh, an enforcer, a dynamic presence, whether he's starting or off the interchange. Also gives the Eels plenty of flexibility to be able to cover the centres as well as middle and edge. 
He's on the bench with Oregon Kafusi and Nathan Brown, who is the natural swap once you put Madison to starting lock. Uh, extended roster for the Eels is Weary McGregor, Jake Arthur, Mitch Rain, Bryce Cartwright, Sean Russell, Ellie Osgaham, and Micah Sivo. So the Eels do have a few wingers they could potentially pick there, but we already sort of talked about getting some minutes into them in the New South Wales Cup, so I'm not expecting them to come in unless there is an actual emergency in the back line. Yeah, so um, looking at now as if I was a, a manly supporter viewing the Parramatta team and I go, I don't know that this is the week I want to be playing Parramatta after they were defeated as favourites at Magic Round and we're playing them on their home turf and and with, a, a, with reinforcements coming. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, just as just, just as I looked at the Manly team as a Parramatta fan and, and and looking for the dangers, if I if I reverse that role, I'm saying as a, if I was a Manly fan, I wouldn't want to be playing Parramatta this week because I think Parramatta will be determined to, given that it's the first home game since what round seven against the Tigers, which we know how that panned out. It wasn't the best home performance. It wasn't the best performance last week. Plenty for the Eels to play for. Yes, indeed. And this is an interesting one because historically on the Brad half, the Eels have been fairly dominant against Manly going back to 2014. I think we've won nine of the 15 clashes, I want to say, off the top of my head. Uh, but most recently, Manly swung the pendulum back to their side uh, with three straight wins against the Eels, including a sweep last year, obviously including that really big win up in uh, Queensland, 56-10, where we really bottomed out during that big skid mid through the season. But, yeah, this is a game I'm looking at and I'm, I'm thinking the Eels going to be up for this. We're finally back home after a month on the road, and it has been a month on the road. You go back to that Newcastle game, it was Newcastle, Darwin, uh, then we went to Penrith, and then Magic Ground. So we have been away from home for a long time, going to have a good crowd out there at Bankwest, you have to think, or Combank, sorry, excuse me, Combank Stadium. And yeah, and I just feel like the way we've loaded up, we're gonna gonna really sold out for dominating the ruck. We've got four big boppers on the bench, and you know, even if there's some sort of tweaks to the roster before kickoff, which is always a possibility, uh, you look at that bench and you've got Makahesi Makatoa, Nia Kore, Kafusi, and Brown, and we are just gonna one way or the other just have fresh legs through the middle of the entire game, and that's gonna yeah. be huge. I, yeah, I look, I. You know how I feel about the sort of football the Parramatta should play, mm-hmm. about winning that middle, about always laying that platform through what the forwards do. It was proven last week where our forwards unfortunately didn't measure up as they quite, not quite measure up as they should against the Roosters. I think they'll be fired up this week. I'm tipping that the score will be something like uh, Eels 34 Manly 16. Mm-hmm. I'm going to nominate Ryan Madison as best on field and first try scorer Dylan Brown. Uh, that's a pretty pretty bold prediction, but not as bold as what I'm going with. I was already on the other podcast with the boys, uh, Hamish and Birdie and Ham, and I, I went big. And I, maybe it's going to blow up in my face, and, but you know, you got to take those lumps if they come to you. And I think I went. I always got to make sure I get this right, but I'm pretty certain I tipped Parramatta winning 54 to eight. I went for a big, well, oh, a, a big oh, score. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. I, I went big. I went Grand Slam big, baby. 
Um, I don't know. I just it just had that feeling. I mean, if you, I just read an article now while we're recording that Brad Arthur sort of throwing down the gauntlet to the boys this week, telling them they've got to you know really step up and and stop all the bullshit with the inconsistency. And you know, we, people were uh, sort of talking about the short turnarounds. He said that when we played against Penrith, we had seven players not trained that week. You know, it's not a matter of resting or going hard on or flogging the boys. It's about just you know them taking responsibility of themselves on the field, which is fair. And I think that message will resonate this week. So if if I'm picking a big blowout, uh, I I also went with Ryan Madison to score the first try, um, given that he's named the start. And the other one I think is that uh, this is not so much a prediction as I want to see. I want the ball to go to the right edge, and I want Will Penasini to score a hat trick this week. Uh, I just want to see him. He's been threatening and threatening and sort of building really nicely. I just want him to get some good ball, some chances to really post up against his opponent, opposition centre and winger, go for the two-on-two or the 2v1 and and really cut loose. All right. So did you say you went for Maddo as best on field? No, uh, I went Maddo first try scorer. So I'm I'm all in on Maddo starting and scoring the first try to keep him. Would that be three straight games for try or is it four? Yeah. So I think because he scored against Penrith and he scored against the Roosters. Did he score the week before? No, because that was the Gold Coast Titans, the North yeah. Queensland Cowboys, and that was down the left edge we scored. Yeah. All right. So you're, be- you're best on field then? Best on field. I mean, a Will Penasini hat-trick would put him close to best on field. But um, I kind of dug what Spiro was saying about uh, maybe some of the middles really starting to dominate and, and get back from that Roosters game. So I'll, I'll look at either Reg or Junior as one of the, the best on field in this one. And I think, I mean, Reg is just a meter, uh, just a fantastic meter-eating machine, whereas Junior gives you a little bit more dynamicism with his ball playing, so maybe it'll be Junior for best on field. Mate, sounds good. So uh, really looking forward to this game on Friday night. Hopefully we see plenty of you out there early for the New South Wales Cup game between the Eels and the Blacktown Workers, uh, seagulls, yeah. It's a workers, seagulls. It's yeah. just it. It just feels silly saying that, that com- combined name. Uh, don't forget as well that we've got our post-match podcast coming to you live from Jack's Bar and Grill in Paraleagues, the home of the Eels. So pop up there, say good day, uh, have a listen. Uh, we've got a, a surprise. Uh, guest this week, who that we we're yet to find out who our legend is going to be, but as always, we will have a legend with us on uh, on Friday night. So a bit of a surprise there for us at this stage. Uh, but looking forward to seeing plenty of you. And of course, when you get up there, and we have our wheels legend, they are. I've had this question put to me: Will they be happy to sign things or or have a photo or have a chat? And I said yes. That's always the experience that I've had with our Eels mm-hmm. legends that are there in Jack's Bar and Grill. So I mean, for those get up there, have for... a listen to our post-game takes, our our chat with the legends, and then uh, have a photo and a, maybe get something signed by an Eels legend after the game. Exactly. I was say, for those that were with us for Brett Kenny, I mean, he, he was very gracious giving his time for everyone for pictures, chatting, uh, you know, signing stuff. So it, it's a great experience. You get the chance to hear some post-match analysis from some former greats as well as some really, really funny and intriguing stories from back in the 70s and 80s. And it's a, it's just, you know, even taking out the fact you've got to listen to me in 60s blabber on, it's just a really good experience. <laughs> Mate, they're there for us. Come on, what are you talking about? <laughs> as always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Tip Sheet. Might see you out there on Friday night. Otherwise, we'll catch you... Uh, for the instant reaction when it goes up and we'll see you next week as well for the preview podcast. Go the Eels.